Welcome to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Mariah, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change toward people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development and Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, we have Armando Hernandez. He's a registered architect born in Guadalajara, Mexico, and he studied architecture at Tec de Monterrey before going to Barcelona to get his master's degree from the Universitat Politecnica de Catalunya. Perfect. Um, during that period, he was also a guest lecturer at Naples University in Italy, where he spoke and focused on um, contemporaneity and memory in architecture, also exploring heritage and tradition in architecture. After that, he went back to Guadalajara, became a professor at his alma mater, Tec de Monterey, for about six years, teaching design and theory. Um, then he moved to Canada in 2013, worked at uh, some pretty big firms, L7 Architecture, Dialogue, Stantec, you might have heard of them, before starting his own firm in 2000. 19 called Dualita Architecture. I love his philosophy and passion. Um, he's passionate about design and creating spaces that enhance people's lives. I love that. He believes good design is critical um, in creating a better society. Love that too. And currently he's starting to work on different building typologies, which is really interesting from everything from, you know, multifamily buildings, industrial buildings, and bringing in different technologies into those builds. Um, and lastly, he's a proud father of a four-year-old girl, a seven-year-old boy, and he loves spending time with them. He made sure that he included that in his bio. I don't think we have anything else to cover. Uh, we do a fairly good job in the episode of defining terms that we're going to be using. So why don't we just jump right in and hear from Armando. So today on our episode, I am so excited. I have been trying to schedule this guy for quite a while. He is incredibly busy in the city, uh, designing beautiful buildings all over Edmonton. Today we have Armando Hernandez, principal and owner of Dualita Architecture. Armando has worked in Mexico and then moved to Canada about uh, 10 years ago. He worked in firms such as Dialogue and Stantec, and just over three years ago, uh, right before the pandemic <laughs> kicked off, he uh, started his own architecture firm, and him and I used to be deskmates at Homestead, which is downtown Edmonton. Uh, it's a co-working space, and we have celebrated a lot of zoning changes together. So welcome to the podcast today, Armando. Thank you, Mariah. It's so, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You sounded like, you make me sound like I was super busy, but I always have time for, for you whenever you need me. I'm, I'm here. You do always have time when I give you a call. I really appreciate it. You've helped me with so many gems. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, Mariah. It's such, a, it's such nice to work with you. We've tackled F-Core issues together, zoning challenges, and right after this podcast recording, you are off to a city meeting for me <laughs> to go talk about subdivisions. So thank you so much. Before we get into all the stuff that uh, we've done in Canada, I wanted to get a little bit into your background. Um, so how did you first fall in love with architecture? It's, it's, it's funny. I always like, I, I, I fell into the cliche of always liking to draw and, and do expression by, by, by drawing and all the stuff. But it was, it was funny because I always liked to do that, but that was architecture was not something that I decided until my last year of high school. Um, I was always supposed to be a doctor. I wanted to be a cardiologist. It was always medicine in my mind. Like I was always, I was passionate about medicine. I was also passionate about drawing and stuff. I, I was, but 
always my goal was to be a cardiologist. That's what I wanted to be. But at the last uh, year of high school, I said, well, I already know that I wanted to be a doctor. Let me try out design because there was in the, in the last year of high school, you were able to decide whether you go to medical administration or design. And I took that one year just to see what it feels like. So I started to, to attend the classes of design and drawing and all the stuff and when I was in high school. And it felt so right that that was my, I think I thought that was what really caught my, my passion because when I was drawing or designing, I felt like I was playing a video game. Like I wanted just to keep going and going and going and not stop. Like it was not a, a chore. It was a, or a homework to do. It was something that I really enjoyed doing. And like, I was always trying to draw something and say, okay, I need to go play with my friends. I don't, I, I don't want to just like, kind of like when your mom asked you to go up, I was like, no, just one, five more minutes. And I, I, so I felt that. And that was my, my senior, my senior year in high school when I say, okay, maybe medicine is not for me. And I think architecture is more for me. And my father is a civil engineer. So he always wanted to take me to construction as he was like an engineer, but I didn't want that. I was always more into the more artistic kind of feeling rather than just numbers. I, I decided to go to, to, to try architecture to the not happiness of my father, because there's always a contention in between engineers and architects in Mexico. So we always fight like, because we think that we architects think that things fly. I don't know why <laughs> and, and, and engineers always are very square. That's, that's my father. So my father was like, he wanted me to go to engineering and, and I didn't want to, I would have been first a doctor, as I said, or even a philosopher, because I like philosophy so much. That's one of my passions. When I was in architecture school, I discovered that architecture has a lot of philosophy attached to it. So I was, I fell even more in love with that. So I don't know, like I, I, I drank the, maybe that's what you say. I drank the Kool-Aid of the like Kool really, really yeah. the passion of architecture and the thinking about it as, as a way of life rather than a job. So I really enjoy, like, if you see my Instagram is all full with buildings and, and I, I just love it so much. It was never on my mind until that senior year of high school that I tried it and I really enjoy it. So what was architecture school like in Mexico? It's different than here because what happens in Mexico, we, I just went directly to the Bachelor of Architecture. The Canadian and US and North America, well, Mexico is North America, but like the, the, the US, Canada way of, of doing school is different than here. We have in, in the US, Canada, you have the bachelor four years and then you have your master's, right? Whereas in Mexico, we have a bachelor that is five years. And sometimes people don't take the masters. So I went directly to Bachelor of Architecture. So I, I dove in directly into, into architecture, right? So I didn't do a master, uh, sorry, a Bachelor of Arts or anything like that. I, I, like even the second semester, I was already drawing and, and doing sketches. And, and I struggled with, with, even though I like drawing, I was more into computers. So uh, even my teachers were kind of like, oh, you need to, to draw and stuff. But I was, no, I want to start doing computer animating things and I love computer animating things. So yeah, so that was kind of the, the experience. And, and I was in a, in a private school and, uh, and in Mexico it's called Tec de Monterrey. Uh, we were very little people, like we were like few people, sorry. 
we were like 20 people in my class. So we created a very good bond. We were always doing overnight things and we didn't sleep and we just like partying here and there. Like, and even we were like drinking beers when we were doing the deadlines for, for a class. So that was always, always fun. <laughs> ah, sounds very similar to planning school here in Edmonton. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're pretty close within our cohorts. Um, so what are some of your favorite styles of architecture that were more specific to Mexican style architecture that maybe you've been able to bring to Canada? One of my biggest things here is like styles are very subjective. When I did my master's, I did my master's in Barcelona. I learned a whole new thing, thinking on, on the styles. I always said like, I wanted to create my own trend, my own style and stuff. But I learned that that's not really what you need to pursue. Style is just a construct of, of categorizing things. Good architecture is free of styles. I want to get rid of labels and, and oh, this is the style that I want to like contemporary, prairie. There's merit in every single with each of them and each style or each trend of architecture has its own merits. So thinking about like, my, I think my, my, my first style will be the no style, like trying to pursue freely what is good. It, it sounds like an evasive, evasive evasion of the answer, but it's not like, it's like, I think every style has its own merits. And I think I, I would like to, to pursue the, the no style and like the freedom of of, of choice. <laughs> I love that. I think your kind of concept of not being put in a box is, is kind of nice. So just want to ask, do you, every single project that you start on, are you approaching it differently depending on the context or do you actually have some sort of a, a style that you start with or everything is different no matter what? Commercially speaking, it's very difficult to pursue them. Everything is different. And that's why sometimes I'm, I'm more busy than I should be because I try to start every project as no nothing happened before, right? I think that's the true way of doing doing stuff. Like every project has a site, has its own unique conditions, it has its own interpretations, its own zoning. You need to address that each project as a single project. However, as I said, and this is my, my experience throughout the years here, it's very time consuming and, and it's not feasible commercially because sometimes the client just wants a quick turn around thing and, and just doing as quick as possible. So you don't have the time to ana analyze and, and do that, which is something that I want to, to start tackling right now that I'm, uh, I'm becoming more busy is, is try to, to get that time to actually think about projects more and not just react to things because that's sometimes when we're be very busy, we just react to things and we don't have the time to actually think about stuff. And, and that's what I want to change, just to try to, to devote the time to, to, into thinking the project rather than just reacting to the project. I don't start with any, like even when I have architectural controls, I, I, I try to, to start as freely as possible, just to try to see what the sites tells me. And sometimes I don't put it in a report or anything like that, but I just try to, to read the site. And I've seen that's even different because you don't see the site just as an, an individuality. You have to see the site as, as a whole part of a whole fabric of the city. Just by looking at where the site uh, views are, just that little question of where the site goes, sometimes many of, 
of other people that, that does decide, don't even think about it. Just try to put like a Tetris and just try to fit as many things as possible, but without uh, uh, something. So that's why I try to do a little bit different. Just tries to customize everything to the client and to the actual site. And I know, like, I think that, that the mess, my best thing to, to, to sum up this is I know where I'm starting. I just, I just don't want to know what it's going to end until the project is ended. So I want to start, I know where to start, but I don't, I don't have any preconception of where this should be ending. I think that's super interesting. And I'm happy you brought up, you know, it's sometimes a challenge, especially with commercial projects, you know, they start with, you know, I want to put in this size of bay because I can get this type of uh, leasable rate or that kind of thing, or I have this tenant that needs this exact kind of building footprint. How do you balance that when you're uh, trying to do everything from scratch every single time? Yeah, you always start with uh, with what the clients wants and, and a program and, and everything, right? So what I found and I try to think about those things is when they come in to me, those aren't your your tools to develop something. Always like, oh, the developer wants this and they want X amount of square footage and stuff. Once you start to understand what a developer wants, that's actually a tool for design. It's not a, a, a tool that you just have to scrub away and it's, it's, in, it's against what you you normally think uh, design the good design is, right? So, oh no, because the developer wants me to do this and this, then this project cannot be as beautiful as possible, right? No, like if you put that as a, as a design thing to solve and actually part of the problem of the design, I think that that can give you a lot of good experiences and, and actually make that part of the problem, right? So like, for instance, if you have a, a, a developer that wants X amount of square footage and maximize the site as much as possible, you can put that into a matrix and, and do calculations and do everything, even in Rhino, and, and try to make that problem part of the design. And that can give you an advantage and a, and a way of thinking, not, not working against the developer, but working with the developer to meet their goals. And, I, and when, when I was in another, another company, it was, it was interesting how I started a project in Excel. I never started a project in Excel. So I had an Excel sheet and that was my first, even, even before I draw the first line, I had an Excel sheet and that's what I started my design. But once you start and, and do all those variables into a project, and then you're able to, to give that to the, to the client. So the developers are, they know what they want. They want to maximize revenue and stuff. Once you start speaking in their language and try to solve their initial thoughts and their initial performance and stuff, then you have free realm to do whatever you want. It's, it's not a justification. Oh, the client just wants this and this. No, the client wants to make money. Once you start speaking with, the, with that mindset and you start the project with, it's a, it's a feasible project economically, then you can do whatever you want. I remember this one time that I was, in, I was showing a, a client. It was my first time in, in here in Edmonton. And my English was not as good. And I put the name Jart with a J rather than a Y. And I presented to the client. I was so embarrassed. But the client went to, before to another architect and they were able just to fit 20 parking stalls. I was able to fit 32. But I put that mistake on the drawings. And he told me, and I was so embarrassed. Like, oh, sorry. Like, Armando... You just put, you just almost doubled my, my parking stalls and that, that may allow me to do more units. That one when there was still work parking regulations. I don't care if you put this in Chinese, as long as the numbers work, I'm happy. 
So that's when I learned that it's about a numbers game. And once you meet those thresholds, then you can push to do interesting stuff. So first you have to, to meet, that's what I'm saying. When, when you put everything, it's a, it's a design problem. When you put that all in together, then you just have to solve the pieces. Like there's the design, the, the feasibility study, the, the shape, the, and, and things that the, the developer, like you can come to the developers and say that this is the best project and the philosophy of that. And you're going to win the Pritzker prize with this because it's so, it's so interesting. You're going to be published. They don't care if the numbers do not work. So, but if the numbers work, then you can start doing that. So it's, I, I think more like a kind of like a step one, get numbers to work. Step two, do a proper design analysis. Step three, do an analysis design and then, and do, and do not make crazy stuff. And that, and then you have a winning combination. Yeah, well, and I've seen quite a few of your designs, and there are definitely winning combinations in there. Before we move away from your background from Mexico and uh, the time that you worked in Spain, what are some things that uh, you found maybe over the past 10, 15 years that Canada may have the opportunity to learn from Mexico in terms of design? I think what is very good about Canada is you know what you're playing with. Uh, and you know, you know the rules of the game and everything is set up and people are trying to do good intentions on, on things here. Whereas my experience in other parts of the world, through Mexico, is not, that's not necessarily always true. Like you always have to struggle with the interest. There's also interest here, but more darker interest in Mexico where like you have to please the authority and please them not in a very good way. Whereas here is more transparent. Everything is, is there. And sometimes I, I always put a comparison with, with traffic. When I live in Mexico, the traffic in, in, a, in my city is 7 million people. There's, only, there's 2 million cars just in my city. So imagine traffic is, is crazy, right? So when I came to Edmonton, people like traffic is good. Like people are polite. There's the stop sign. People stop at the stop signs where in Mexico they do not stop at the stop signs. They, they don't care about the lights. They don't wear the seatbelt. Like it's, 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 there's no rules, right? I, I do this comparison also for when I'm, I'm doing design. There's rules and people obey the rules. And I, and I think that's great. When you come from, from that city where there's two million, uh, two million cars, you value that there's no traffic here. And sometimes people here complain, oh, there's so much traffic. It took me 20 minutes to get there when normally it takes me 10. And we complain when it takes me an hour instead of taking me half an hour and, or take me two hours. So you get to value those things differently than that. And that's what I love being here. Like with Mariah, with you, Mariah and Idea, we've been working with regulators, with Epcor, with stuff, and they're open to listen to what we're, we have to say, how to things, do things better. And that's amazing. In Mexico, that doesn't happen. In Mexico, it's like, okay, what can you do my life better so I can help you? So it's, it's more about that rather than actually trying to improve. We're doing the zoning bylaw renewals and stuff. And the city, you can actually see that the city wants to do things better. Sometimes they, they achieve that, sometimes they do not. And sometimes there's criteria that you don't agree with. But the set of rules and the set of, of the environment that you play with is a fair environment. And that's what I love about being here. If you're good, you can move forward. If you're not good, then you still can move forward, but a little bit slower. Whereas in other 
countries such as Mexico, even Spain, is is based on who you know, who you're giving, you're willing to give a, give a cut back something. Is, and I didn't like that. That's why I moved there. So when I come here and say, okay, people complain about the lengthy process of, of permits and stuff, I just remember my, my metaphor of, oh, okay, this is my 15-minute traffic, which is nothing compared to two hours that I was back home. So I always get that perspective when I, I'm frustrated with a city of timelines. And so like, I have it really good here. And I love that. Like the, the realm of, of the rule of law actually exists here. And, and, and having those clear rules and those clear fair game lets you do whatever you want. And not whatever you want, obviously, within the rules, but you have a tough time if you don't want to follow the rules, of course. And that's what I want. <laughs> People that don't follow the rules have a, have a tough time. Whereas in Mexico, they get rewarded. Yeah, I was uh, at a goodbye party last night for one of my good friends. They're moving to London, England, which I am very excited for them for. Uh, and a little bit jealous because London has always been a city that I would definitely move to. Uh, but someone was asking me like how I like doing urban planning here in Edmonton. And I felt bad for that person because they did not realize that they were about to listen to me talk for about 10 minutes <laughs> about how in Edmonton, I feel like we're a community that works together and like it doesn't, the rules always don't make sense or the processes don't always make sense, but everyone's willing to work together to improve them. Uh, so yeah, I think you're totally right, Armando. We, we've been able to do some great things when, when we've been working together. I also think it's important that, that you brought up the it's all relative conversation. Like, yeah, we complain a lot about traffic and <laughs> the first time I got kind of I've never driven in Mexico or Spain. Like, I, I don't even know what those are all about. But the first time I kind of left and went to Los Angeles and got to see what that kind of traffic like sitting in traffic, like a two hour drive takes you six hours. That was the first time that I was like, all right, all right, maybe like my small commute getting delayed by five minutes in Edmonton between the hours of 3 p.m. and 5 or 6 p.m. Maybe I shouldn't care too much about that, but um, I'm happy that you, uh, you, you're talking about doing better. That's a slogan directly on your website, do better. I'm curious about what that means and also what Dualita means to you and your business. Ooh, nice. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I can start with a do better thing. Well, That's why I put do better is you want to create the world in the first, in the next project, right? And, and you want to make this project the, the staple project of your company. But as long, and this I learned from a very good friend, uh, Alvin, if you just do a 5% better than the last one, you're increase, in, incrementally increasing your quality. So do better is just do, do better every time that you try to do something. Do better. Just try to do better than, than the average. Just try to do better than the last one. Do better. That's why I didn't put anything afterward after because you have you 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 have yourself open to do better what you think that you need to improve. Do better a little bit a little bit after a little bit after. Do better means means to to just to strive to do things a little bit better than the last time, and not to, to be perfect, not trying to be excellent. It's just to try to do better than the than the last time. And if you commit to that, you after two or three years, four years, you will end up. Do, Realizing that you're way better than the rest. It's not because of your comparison. It's just because you want to do it better just because of, of it is right to do it better. It's right to do it more interesting. It's right to do maybe this project, you, you didn't hit that market of, of what it is best to try in this, in this particular project and, and you miss something. It's okay. Next time you do it better. 
And so that's that's the slogan of what this do better means. And Dualita means uh, something that I even I, I, I learned from my master in, in Barcelona about how things work. So the, the, the words Dualita is kind of like a, a Latin for duality. It's kind of like dual, two things. Uh, and I always think pairs and, and things come coming in, in, in two, black, white, night, day. There's always the, the, the two components, right? There's always an opposite. So what Dualita means is like, I acknowledge those contrasts and acknowledge that those two things exist and they create our reality. So in, a philosoph in philosophy, there's always the synthesis and like, okay, when you mix white and, and black, it becomes gray. I don't care about that. I, I care about the black and white. When, when you have a good project, you can also have a bad project and they have to coexist. That's how you know they're good projects because of their bad projects. Then you understand there's a good, this is a good project because you saw the bad, the bad project. Uh, so, but they're equally important. So you have a project that is the market and it's just the, the, the Westmont Mall that you can have all kinds of, uh, of styles there. There's, but that's as, as valuable as the museum of, of the Ram, right? Because they coexist and they, 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 they function together and they have the same validity as one. You can, you can say that the museum is, is a sublime project. It is, but that doesn't take away the value of what the, the Western Montemo means to the, to the, to the Edmonton community, right? I'm not saying that I like Western Montemo. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, I just acknowledge the value that brings. I spend a lot of weekends there and I love it. I love Western Montemo. But I also love going to the museum. That's what it says about Dualita. They both coexist together, and one is not more important than that. They that exists, and that's what that's what that's the reason of the name behind Dualita. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think you're the first guest on our show that said they loved West Edmonton Mall too. So that's uh, <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> I I acknowledge the, the value. No, that's that's great. I feel like as Edmontonians, we kind of take it for granted a little bit and don't uh, don't enjoy it as much. Mariah, when's the last time you were at West Ed? This last weekend. Oh, you were. Well, there. <laughs> I shouldn't have even asked that question. It's been a while for me. I I don't go unless I am going to one of the attractions for sure. But okay, what were you doing there? My husband and I, we would go there all the time when we were dating. That was like our spot, and um, he just got some really good news at work. And so we did a throwback classic date where we went to dinner and a movie. <laughs> and it has, like he's saying, it has value. You didn't go to the museum. You went to West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> yeah, Armando, I'm, I'm kind of interested. You started your business uh, on your own in 2019, I guess, three years ago, right before COVID. How did you, how did you navigate and survive the pandemic? I didn't, I didn't know it was COVID. <laughs> Not knowing that it's like the blessing. Ignorance is always a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I came here in September 2019 to the space, um, to Homestead. I was finishing up my registration with the AAA and all stuff. And then the infamous 2020 came. And a lot of projects that I started working with, they, with I, I had on the, on the queue, they were being challenging, taking out and out and out and out. So what I did, and the good thing about being here in Homestead is that there's a lot of flexibility about rates and what you pay for rent. And, and it was only me and my desk, right? So 
I started doing something that many of architects here, in, which is kind of weird. That's a, that's a difference between Canada and Mexico. In Mexico, we do a lot of houses, not in here. So I, I love always the houses and, 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 and a family houses, single home, single family homes. So I saw that there was a lot of, like my, one of my clients wanted to do his own house. So I started doing his house when I started doing little houses. So I was not expecting the huge price with the put on hold. I was surviving by doing little houses, which ultimately I love doing. So, and I never did that when I was at the big, these big architectural companies, right? There was never the, the, the opportunity to do houses. So it was, it was good for me to go back to my roots of doing houses. And, and that paid the bills throughout the pandemic. So that was, that was, that was great. And I, I started just knocking to people. I met Mariah, which was great. Like she was the only one here that I'm here. So I was talking, oh, what do you do? And like, I, I, I do this and blah, blah. So we start talking. I, I love how she is and how, how always with a smile and stuff. So I'm just I started talking to people, I guess. Like when you, you, you talk to people and you tell them what they do or what you do and kind of that organic networking, not just going to a network event and just talking, but just talking to people and get really interested in what they're, they're doing and, and things happen, right? So I, I do this and what they do and just creating connections. I think that was the most important thing. So all throughout 2020 and 2021, when we were allowed to, to meet with people, I, I talked to a lot of people, thankfully, a lot of those leads that I got, like really got, got me projects. And one got to another one, and then another one, and then another one, and, and it, it kind of created organically. There was a, an online service that I, I use as well. And I, I use that also for leads. And I remember I was in, 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 in one of the client's house doing measurements because they wanted to extend the, the living room, the, sorry, the bedroom, to a bigger bedroom. I never, I never thought I was going to do that. I was literally between the kids' toys and everything, just doing dimensions and stuff, just to, to do an, an, an addition to a house, 300, 300 square feet. That's it. That's how, that's what I did. And I, I love it. And, and, and that I always said that there's no small client and, and that really helped uh, with the momentum, right? So that little thing led me to another thing. And, and that kept me, kept me going, right? And now I, I have to say I'm pretty busy. So yeah, everything that I, like the, the, the mentality is not such a thing as, as a small client and just keep, keep moving forward. Yeah, that's great. I, I like that you mentioned that you um, were going through the registration process uh, when, when you started your business as well. I, I, I'm curious about how, you know, the regulations, having to learn kind of a new building code regulations. Maybe can you talk to us about how they differ here locally versus uh, what you were used to back in, um, in Mexico or, or in Spain even? Yeah, Spain is also, in, Mex in Mexico, we don't have a code per se. There's kind of like, local codes we don't have a national code there's safety standards like for like for instance for engineering there's the safety standard that uses the mexico city for seismic thing so there's the code and all the country uses because it's the most stringent one and we use it for that um, whereas in spain there is a very stringent code actually you cannot use open kitchens in spain at least when i was there maybe it's changed but like you cannot the kitchen has to be enclosed because of fire. 
And so that really made terrible designs. But when I came here, I have to learn the code. And it took me like when I, I'm also registered in Mexico. So in order to do my registration, I have to go through BIFA, uh, which is a great system to, to get a registration. I didn't have to go over the internship again and everything. So I just have to bring my credentials and bring it here. And I have to prove to, to, the, to the committee that I actually know what I'm doing. So, but in order to do that, I have to prove it with Canadian experience and or experience abroad. Like you can actually meet the things that the code requires here. So it took me like three or four years to actually get my, get my head around the code and regulations in Canada. So that after six years, I think, six or seven years that I work in different companies, I felt confident enough to apply for my registration. So that's why I, I, I started and it took me six years. Uh, you, essentially, you're eligible within the first six months, but I don't see how you're going to get the experience within six months. You need at least two or three years of practical experience because it's funny, they, 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 they don't ask you for knowledge. They ask you to show them what you have actually done. It's not like you know the code and you can learn the code by like memory. That doesn't help you. You need to show that actually you put that code to use and how do you solve things. So that, that's what it took me at least six, six years to, to learn in Canada. Yeah, we do have quite a technical building code and zoning bylaw here in Canada. Is there anything that um, your clients are looking to build or, or looking for in the future that maybe we could address through the zoning bylaw renewal? Yeah, um, there are quite a few. For instance, right now, there's, there, there's this one project in Strathcona that we're working and it's about zero lot lines. They're tricky. And sometimes the code and the bylaw doesn't address them as it should be, and they can create some conflicts between landowners, uh, particularly in that on the whole wide area. So that that's tricky. Also, regulations, particularly where I see the most challenges, is in the in the mature neighborhood overlay, when we have conflicting information that one thing tells you one thing, another thing tells you another thing. Or you can do this, but this overlay doesn't tell you how what to do that. So that gets confusing. But I will tell you the biggest thing of all, that those can be solved. But I think the, the major thing of all, like all the clients that I have worked lately, and I have clients text me all the time, is about timing. Like if the city can be a little bit faster on, on responding and, and getting a, a development permits a little bit faster or building permits a little bit faster, that even though the zoning bylaws and everything and all the regulations, we can solve them. And I think also that what makes the timing of the city bylaw that lengthy is because of this conflicting information and the, the, the rules, even though the rules, they're not as straightforward and easy to follow. And that's why it takes time and so many revisions because it's funny because I have seen in the same lot when I have done subdivisions, one house on the left, and one house on the right. The house on the left didn't require any variances and the house on the right required variances. Exact same floor plan, just two different people reviewing that. And the one on the left, we started right away. The one on the right had to do a process of community consultation. So it got delayed like two months just because of, of, of that. 
So, and it was exactly the same house, the same, the same zoning, everything the same, just different guy doing that. So the main challenging that I have found right now is, I think it's two, it's two ways. The clarity of how the overall zoning regulation is, is written, that makes it confusing, not just to the developer officer, but also to interpret it. And also the timelines that when the city is not responding as fast as we can, that costs money and that because you, 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 you put a project on hold for three months, just to get four months, just to get a DP that's interest that you have to pay. That's a lot of things. So that's, I think the most challenging thing that I've been facing professionally. I haven't said that in idea, but I think the timing is more important than actually the regulation. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. I had. A uh, fresh new student out of the U of A uh, human geography program, uh, passionate about planning last week, talked to me about uh, joining IDEA, volunteering, getting some planning experience. But her last question was, so is it tr- like, is it really true that infill is so unaffordable? Like, is there ways to address that? And I explained to her the development process from when you purchase land or when you're even looking at land until... Wow, when you hand over the keys and she was shocked at how much carrying costs there are, how many revisions there are, um, how many regulations that are not across the city that are just in certain areas of the city that add costs uh, exist in Edmonton that are really adding to our affordability problem. And so I'm hoping that's addressed in the zoning bylaw and district planning, uh, but that's my job to continue pushing on. <laughs> Talking about the, 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 the way of thinking, like, because in, if you go to Vancouver, it takes more time. So by we, me saying that I value the Canadian thing that is there's rules and the traffic here is slighter, it's not justifying that we cannot do better. If we have a, a way of doing things, and as I said, people are willing to do things better, it's just removing those, those hurdles. And we can live in paradise when you can submit a DP and the DP gets approved in one, two months and everything works great. That's achievable. We have the, the ways of doing that. And it's not because, oh, in Vancouver, there was, that's not a, that's not a justification. Now that we're here, uh, I believe we live in one of the best countries in the world to, to be living in. And we can do things better and, and we can create more affordable housing. Uh, we, it's, it's incredible how a new field is supposed to do more affordability, but it's doing the opposite. And because you're doing the land and, and the land is more expensive and you're taking so long to do the permit, so the interest goes away. Those, like the EPCOR connection are super expensive and all that stuff. So me saying that, okay, we have it better than other parts in the world, that doesn't mean that it has to be a justification that we cannot do better. Yeah, 100%, just like your slogan. <laughs> So going into one of my favorite projects of yours, and I believe you referred to it earlier, uh, you have an interesting project on White Ave in the Shathcone area. Is that the zero lot line project you were talking about? Yes, that, that is correct. That's the one. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting project because that I, w- I was working on that project. That was one of the first projects that came in 2019. Um, I was doing actually the front of, the, of that project. That's a... Um, that's where the site of the, the what is in Wedaf is 100th Street and 82nd Avenue. So, and there's two lots, the one in the front and the one in the back. 
the one on the back is facing 81st Avenue. So what was interesting is that that project, that land there wasn't able to be developed uh, because there was a parking lot for the restaurant and the, the shopping, the, the strip mall in the front. So when the bylaw changed and in 20, June 2020, um, the city uh, removed the, city, the, the parking regulations, I told the owner like, okay, what, that project was actually my idea, not even the client. I told the client, hey, how about if we, the, the, the city is removing this, I think that was feasible to develop the parking. And uh, he was kind of negative about it. He was, no, we already checked with the city. They want that because of the parking and I need to keep that parking because of blah, blah, blah. So no, but that, that's that's now not, not the case. Now we can actually develop that land. And he was happy about that. And we developed that land and we developed a project. We went even to the EDC and right now we're waiting for building permit. It's been close to a month and we're still waiting to get it assigned to a building permit revision. So just to get assigned one month. Uh, but right now that's moving forward. But the good thing is that it was an empty lot, just parking. And now we were able to close that facade of the, of, 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 of the lot, of the block. And it created a, a, a project there out of the blue, just because the regulations change. That brings feasibility to things. And that's what I'm, kind of what I'm saying about the, 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 the new regulation, or, or if the pilot changes and makes things easier, the regulations helps in many things. They help in, in creating new things and also expediting things. So that, I think that that project, as you summarize, is very, very interesting. Uh, we're waiting for just to see who's going to be building that, but that's something that we started in 2020 and now we're, we're very close to start building. Yeah. I remember when you first told me about the project and I feel like I did a happy dance to be able to see <laughs> the parking regulations have an immediate effect, especially on one of our main streets in Edmonton was just like, it was so unbelievably satisfying. Uh, one of the other projects that you told me about around that time was, I call it the Treehouse project. There was a lot that had a gorgeous tree on it, and I believe the owner wanted to work to save the tree. Yeah. So, and this coming back to actually seeing what every project needs to to show. So the client, the, the client has this lot, and they should divide it. So we try to 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 save that 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 tree in the middle and try to build a house around it. So the the the, the lot was twenty six and a half feet. So we were able to, even though it's a skinny lot, we were able to put the, the, the tree in the middle and create a little a little patio inside. So we, we work around the tree just to make it look like a, an interior to interior exterior because obviously it was still an exterior. But even though the challenge of a skinny house, we were able to build the house around, around this. So right now the house is already built. The, the result was pretty good. Actually, that thing allowed, like now the, the, that, that patio in the, in the middle is right in the middle of the house. So it creates better lighting and it's not just the windows to the, to the, to the bedrooms, but actually an interior window with grips, great lighting. It's, it's actually funny, it's in the Sherwood area, Sherbrooke area. And you can even see the, 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 the downtown buildings from the, from the living room because of this big, this, this big window. So yeah, that was an exciting one. But yeah, definitely talking about the how every project can be different, and I haven't never seen something like that in Edmonton. So 
Cool. We'll have to see if maybe client will put it on our uh, annual infill tour, which is coming back next yeah, year. Yeah, of course. So is, uh, is there other projects that you're working on right now that you're, you're super excited about? Yeah, I'm super excited about the Russell project. It's a six-story building in 98th Avenue and 103 Street. That project is where we're now so looking for the builder. Uh, but it's, it's, it's moving, it's moving forward. And I'm very happy about that project. It's a six story building, 68 units. And it's kind of in the very end of the missing middle. Like it's not a huge tower. And there was a place that we could have done a tower, but the client wanted to do just a six story. And what I'm excited about that is that it makes different types of, of living within one building on the east side has townhomes. So you can feel like you're living in a townhomes in in downtown Edmonton. That's right in the edge of downtown. And you can have a two-story, um, a two-bedroom, a one-bedroom, three-bedroom condo, and also a bachelor. So a lot of typologies and a lot of people can live within that building. So even a family actually designed that building thinking about me trying to move in back to where I first live in Edmonton. When I first come, I live in one and 103 Street and 98th Avenue, right kitty corner of that lot. So that had a like kind of like sentimental project, like what you were saying about uh, your husband going back to West Edmonton. I felt like I'm going back to where I actually first lived. I was so excited about that. So I, I felt like what now that I have a family, I would like to live in, a, in a, something that feels like a town home. Okay. Like, three bedrooms, two stories. So I tried to design something for myself. It sounds a little bit selfish. So I put it there. I put like six townhomes there that I would love to live in there. I'm actually, it's, it's for a rental, but pretty much what I was talking about before, if the performer works, I was able to propose a different kind of living, which was the townhomes, because the numbers work. And the client didn't even say anything about, oh, why a townhome? Why don't you do the regular two bedroom, one bedroom, like everybody does? I was like, okay, well, I didn't even have to explain the necessity of that because I increased the numbers and I was able to achieve the density that I required in six stories. And that was, a, yeah, actually, I was very proud about that because I was able to propose something a little bit different. It's not a crazy thing different, but it was pushing that that little bit to do, a, I think, a better building with better livability and attracting all kinds of people within one building. So we have to to understand that the city is for everyone and not everybody. Like there's a lot of like the cliche of the family and then you have to go to the outskirts to live in your super big house and you don't have three bedrooms. And because of that, developers don't want to do those three bedrooms in downtown because people don't like to live downtown. But that's not true. I have family. I would love to live in downtown. Uh, I live in the White Off area, so that's why I feel I think it's great because that's that's the way actually I think people should live like close to the to downtown area and have all the amenities and have all the all the all their basic needs within walking distance. My wife does not drive. I'm pushing her to drive, but she doesn't want to, and that's fine. I, lo I love that she doesn't drive. But we need we need to to walk everywhere, and we need to plan our life how we can walk, and that's a very not North American way of thinking that city, and that's what I'm trying to push to try to make a a city that you can actually walk to places. 
When I lived in Barcelona for over two years, I didn't need a car. And those were my happiest days of my life, not needing a car. So that's what I'm saying. This project that is very special meaning to me because it's, I designed something that I was something for me and not something for, okay, I want to live here. I have two kids. How can I do this for me living in downtown? And we, we're cheaper. So hopefully it gets built soon. Yeah, and the Roscoe community is so beautiful. Like they have some really cool commercial spots and some great green spaces. And I drive around there and walk around there all the time looking at the different houses and architecture. I'm really hoping they kick off that Touch the Water project real soon <laughs> and get it, yeah. get it funded. I'm actually very excited about that project. I used to live in the condo building immediately north of that site. So I've seen, you know, multiple rezoning signs, development permit signs, people trying to make something happen on that site. It's got crazy topography. So I've seen one of the designs on your website um, or one of the, the renderings. I'd love to see more. Where can I see more? Do you have uh, an Instagram account or anything that way you can plug? I, I want to know what's going on next to my old building. I, I, I have the Instagram account, uh, Dualita Architecture. But also if you go to, to Skyscraper, there's a lot of community there talking about that project places that you can actually, and I, I was happy because people were reacting very good to, to that project. It's, it's, it's funny to see and, and feel judged in, by these communities that are sometimes some kind of anonymous. And I, I was happy. I was, I felt like I, I, a skyscraper and that, that one and the one that I am doing also in North Venora and they have positive reviews. So, but definitely that's something that I want to do to create more information about the projects that I'm doing. Right now, it's not on my website. I should put that more into my website just to explain the reasoning behind things. Like this is the first time I talk about openly about me being a little bit uh, selfish, but trying to design something that I will live in. Uh, but that, definitely that will be something that it would be interesting to talk to and, and put it in, in a blog or something like that. I think people would respond really well to know that you designed it so that you and your family could potentially live there. When you hear that from people, you, you hear that connection and that love for their projects. It makes them feel like that you're investing into their community. So I am 100% positive that if you put that on your website or social media, you'd get even stronger reaction. <laughs> so we've taken up quite a bit of your time this afternoon. I want to give you an option to uh, do a call to action to our listeners here today. So we do it with all of our guests. Um, you are the experts in our industry. That's why we bring you all on. Uh, so do you have a call to action for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. My call, my, I will have two. The first one will be to question what, what we're doing. Like question every day if what we're doing right now is the, is the best way to do things on how can we do things a little bit better than how we're doing regularly. Just to question like even even how how you drive from your house to your work is that the best route is is there another route that you can actually learn more about your city like something different just like even in, in at your own work how i'm doing this all the time the same way is there another way like just put that question in your in in your mindset when you start questioning things not because you want to question like, oh, my government is the worst. How can they? That's not a question that I'm referring. It's just question, how can I do things a little bit different, a little bit better? 
Well, that would make a call to action. Just to question where, you're, where you are right now and how you can do things to improve what you're doing. And maybe you don't have to spend a lot of money. Just, as I said, like maybe, oh, I'm, I'm just always buying stuff from this shop. What happens if I buy from this other shop? And maybe you, you'll find nice surprises. And, and that's the way that I think I want to keep doing my, my, my work. Just questioning if the way that I'm doing things is the best way to do things or how can I improve them a little bit? It, maybe, maybe I questioned that and I said, yes, this is the best way. That has never happened. But if you question things, this is the first way to start getting curiosity and, and start to thinking a little bit different, not, not taking things for granted and, and, and just question like, is, is this really the best way that we can do this? Is this the best way that we can achieve this other result? Question yourself. And the other way is to look around, like that would be my second thing of action is look around and, and see your city differently as well. Like see how it's evolving and, 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 and how beautiful it is. Because sometimes we take things for granted. Edmonton is a beautiful city and has a lot of potential. I learned this the other, the other, the other way. Like I have, I have a friend, a very good Italian friend. He's a, also a, a professor of architecture. And they went to Mexico. They're coming from Italy. And they were jealous of the type of work that we were doing there, about the houses that we're doing, and how freedom of design we have in Mexico, because they didn't have that. And I, I, I learned that that day that even people from beautiful Italy, that we all cherish and say that Italy is the worst, the best, they came to say to Mexico they have good things. And now I, I come to a, from Mexico to Edmonton and I say, you have beautiful things here. Just value, value what we have and, and try to treasure it and try to make things even more beautiful. And because it's, it's very easy to complain, but just think things and, and value what we have. That's, that's the, what, what we need. Because when, once we, can, we, we cherish what we have and we question if we can do things better, we can create the best city in the world by just doing those two things. That is the best way to end an afternoon, in my opinion. <laughs> Not to discredit all of our other calls to actions, but that was super lovely. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us, Armando. Thank you, Mariah. Thank you so much for having us. I really enjoyed this. I love talking to architects. I, Armando was fantastic. Uh, they're always very intelligent and, you know, think about the world in very different ways. I think a part of it, I, I wanted to be an architect for a small portion of my life and, and didn't end up making it. So I love uh, that someone as passionate as him made it. What I found interesting is that, you know, he wanted to be a doctor or a cardiologist growing up, that he, but he loved to draw. So he ended up following his passions. How crazy is that? It is insane. Like, I wouldn't hate it if I was having some sort of heart problem that I needed help with and he was my doctor. I think that would be hilarious. I think he would be such a great, like he'd have great bedside manners. Uh, but I am very glad that he's designing our buildings instead. I agree. I, I think that's really interesting. I wonder how many doctors out there or cardiologists also like to draw but ended up going the other way. What did you want to be when you grew up? 
Uh, I went through different phases. I wanted to be a dancer, and then I wanted to be a monster truck driver, uh, and then I wanted to be a teacher, uh, and now I'm here. <laughs> I think you picked the right one, definitely, but the monster truck driver would have been pretty interesting, I think. that's That seems like a pretty cool lifestyle. Yeah, I just thought it was really fun, Yeah, and like just get to be big and smash things, and yeah anyways i got to go to one monster truck rally and i was like this is the greatest thing ever oh yeah and i knew nothing about cars <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you need to big car crushes small car end of uh end of everything <laughs> you need to know i think there's storylines though isn't there don't they have like um like wrestling type storylines about some of these drivers now i think so but the show that i went to had a pretty like fierce woman and so i was like i want to be her she's really cool oh there you go <laughs> yeah there you go yeah. well i think you i still think you made the right choice um the the thing that i found interesting was that you know he was a very good hand drawer but was just came at architecture school from a computer animation standpoint which i found interesting i i was always jealous when i took my one year of architecture school i was a really terrible hand drawer but i was capable with the computer programs but hand drawing was like a huge part of it. And I think there's something really good about being able to explain something with a hand sketch. None of mine here, let me show you. I have some hand sketches sitting right next to me. Yeah, how do any of those make sense to you? Of course not, but I can't draw <laughs> like some people. I, I'm always jealous of the people that can hand draw really well, so. Was that the inside of a house? <laughs> exactly, no, it was the outside <laughs> of a house. and. <laughs> exactly <laughs> no the hand sketching is just it's just terrible and maybe that's why i ended up failing out of there but yeah it's i found it fascinating that you know because now everything is probably computer animated how's your hand sketching i'm decent at hand sketching i actually i would prefer to hand draw things than to computer draw them i just feel like it loses its magic but it's like, it's so much faster and efficient. It's yeah. visually easier for people to like consume it after too. Uh, I think if you think in the terms of sketches, then it's like, it makes sense for you, but I don't think most people do. So no, uh, I believe one of our upcoming guests also is a hand, hand drawer uh, architect as well. So just a little nugget for future listeners. <laughs> good cliffhanger. Yeah, good cliffhanger. Um, yeah, my favorite part of his website, I know we had kind of mentioned that he's too busy to work on his website, but his catchphrase of do better just hits home. I find that often, uh, especially in the professional world, we can be perfectionists. Mm -hmm. uh, we want everything to be perfect every time we, we put it out there. And like rea realistically, when you look at your work from three, five, seven years ago, you would do a thousand things different than you would do now. And so if every time we're just trying to be a little bit better, like, I don't know if like there is such a thing as perfect. We've talked, we've talked about it previously, but um, there was actually a, I listened to a, a strong towns podcast the other day that was talking about incremental development and incremental, like betterment of your cities. And that's exactly what I think he's talking about. I, I had a, an architecture professor in my one year of architecture school. I'm just going to bring that up as many times as possible. <laughs> um, she always said, uh, on, it was on day one, we were all sitting there bright eyed thinking that I was going to be the next Frank Gehry. And she was like, just remember good enough is not good enough. And I think that's what Armando is kind of saying, like, don't just stop short uh, and do everything exactly the same as what you've always been doing it because it's good enough. Do better. 
I love that slogan. I completely agree with you. I'm happy that he, uh, he explained it like that because I think incrementalism in development and design is something that we can all learn from. Yeah. And like things evolve. So you need to keep up with the times. Like you need to continue reading and learning. And as long as you stay intellectually curious, I find that people's work continuously improves. But it's when uh, you take a backseat to your own career, your own personal life. That's when things get a little stagnant. But well, exactly, yeah. But that's why that five percent makes a lot of a lot of. It's really easy to rest on you know your previous successes and just keep doing that and find a formula and keep hammering at that. So, yeah, I think it's a good lesson for for myself. Yeah. After uh, we finished recording the episode, there was one thing that Armando said that really like drove home with me, and I think most likely I will bring up in multiple conversations for the for the rest of my life. But he said that the best architecture creates memories. <laughs> and it's not always about like this like fantastical building that will stick out in your city and change the skyline uh, or change the neighborhood. It's about where people feel comfortable. People can meet each other. They can create big or small memories. I don't know. Do you have memories like that in the city? I don't think so. Best me- best architecture, best memories, you mean? Yeah, like a memory from, I don't know, when you went to school, I'm sure your memory of, of your university maybe wasn't like the whole building, the whole yeah. campus. You're right. But it was like certain rooms, certain study oh, areas. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And uh, it's always kind of the spontaneous ones or the ones that were either um, not afterthoughts, but designed in for a specific purpose and then took on a different purpose or something like that, or were designed to be flexible. And then everybody kind of had their, built their own memories in there. I, t- I definitely agree with you there off the top of my head. I can't think of anything. That's just the nature of my day, I think, but yeah, it's, I agree with you. It, it, what I find fascinating is Armando's, you know, comes up with these fantastic slogans and English is his second language. Like shouldn't it's, it's just incredible. <laughs> He and I work out of the same co-working space and the gentleman who helped design the building, they have this uh, floor design on the main floor. And I remember walking in, I started when like they didn't have the floor mats in for winter and looking down on that like floor design, it just like made me so excited to take on the world. Interesting. And I took a, I took a photo of it. And every time they like take the mats out for a different time of year, I just get like re excited, re pumped. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. How cool is that? Yeah, that's not like what they were trying to do, but that's a design element from from the building that really changed the way I took on the day. Design is everywhere. Absolutely. You know where else it is? Where? West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the building that changed Edmonton. <laughs> no kidding. Put it on the map, you mean? It definitely did put it on the map. There are people from all over Alberta come to West Edmonton Mall to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true, though. Like, it is true. I was even in uh, Vancouver last year with a girlfriend of mine looking at wedding rings for her. And one of the gentlemen that we were looking at his rings, he was saying how he comes to Edmonton twice a year for some sort of ring show. And like he he like named West Edmonton Mall as a place that he like stops in, and some of his designs were featured. And I'm like, yeah, I guess like that that's your place that you resonate with. Like, yeah, you're not the only one outside of Edmonton that thinks about West Edmonton Mall before they think about the rest of the city. 
Well, there's a lot that you can do at West Edmonton Mall. What's, I mean, you, <laughs> I didn't give me the answer I wanted to in the episode because you had recently been there, but what do you typically go to West Edmonton Mall for? Is it the retail experience or the dining experiences like you went with last time or what? So typically I, I do go to do like, we call them university dates. Uh, so we'll go, we'll, sh- we'll like shop or window shop for a bit. We'll grab dinner. Uh, our like classic dinner spot was Earl's. If you ever get their feta, uh, fettuccine Alfredo and you get it tossed in hot sauce with their blackened chicken, is really good. Um, and we would get spinach dip, and yeah, <laughs> it was like a classic dinner. And then we'd go for the go to a movie after. Uh, but my favorite spot in West Edmonton Mall is definitely the water park. Yeah. I got to agree with you. What there. about you? Oh yeah, the water park for sure. I, I uh, as an adult, I've really only gone for specific purposes, like this. Only the store at West Edmonton Mall has these shoes I want, or something. Or I'm going to the water park. I still went fairly frequently. My sister used to work uh, administration for West Edmonton Mall, so she got like free passes to the water park or Galaxyland every now and then. I never went to Galaxyland as an adult. That wasn't really my thing. But the water park, oh boy. I was there maybe once every two months, never by myself, but it felt that way sometimes. You're surrounded by like families with kids and stuff during the day. And I'm just like, you know, putting my arms up on the skyscraper, going down a hundred times, having a great time. So yeah, the water <laughs> park is, is definitely it, but they've got pretty much something for everyone. Like the shooting range, you know, the mini golf. race car track, mini, like a bunch of mini golfs, laser tag, uh, all the retail you could possibly want, restaurants. So, you know, it, they are one or two residential towers away from being an, uh, being their own city. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the episode, uh, during planning school, one of our professors, Dr. Summers, that we had earlier on in uh, one mm. of our episodes, if you haven't listened to that, go back and give it a listen. It was great. Yeah, uh, but he talked about how it's like a great example of creating a winter city environment for people to go out. Like every time I go, I see like parents with strollers walking around with their kids. I've seen like people who are elderly who are like don't feel comfortable in the wintertime walking around on our sidewalks that aren't always as clear as we would like them to be. A place to grab a coffee and like meet up with friends. Like they do a great job of creating a whole bunch of like people-centered spaces. Yeah, it it, we, it gets a kind of a bad rap from locals, I imagine, like just ugh, West Edmonton Mall, the traffic and to get there and the blah, blah, blah. And it's just ugly in some circumstance, I guess. But it has everything. So I think, yeah, from an urbanist perspective, there's things we can learn from there, Dr. Summers might say. <laughs> there definitely is. One of the other interesting things that he talked about was the difference between Spain and here in Edmonton. Oh, I love that you asked those questions. Yeah, you you ask great questions about like the differences between like Mexican design, uh, Spanish design, and then what we do here. I hope he answered some of those. But yeah, the thing I found fascinating was enclosed kitchens. I thought open floor plans were kind of everywhere and like the future everywhere. But no, in Spain, they're still rocking enclosed or galley kitchens. Yeah, I found it really interesting because I'm not the hugest fan of open concept main floors that wow. are extremely open concept i <laughs> know yeah. it's hot take from from my it is mariah. it is you're stuck <laughs> in the past mariah or you're or you're like in the future already because yeah i i live in kind of a, a three-year-old infill and our entire main floor is basically just one giant room and you know having a seven-month-old 
Um, it's fantastic. I can just plop her on the floor, surround her with toys or things to put in her mouth and then go cook dinner, clean up or whatever. It's fantastic. But you know, the enclosed kitchen I know is your preference. So let's hear your take on why. Yeah, I'm just not a speedy dish person. So I think if I was more on top of my dishes, it wouldn't be a problem. But I don't want to walk in the door after like going and doing groceries or seeing friend for brunch and like have dishes hit me in the face or like try and watch a movie and have dishes right next to me. Yeah, Uh, I would prefer if it was like semi closed or even if it had like a raised countertop, there could be some controlled messes. (laughs) I see. Yeah, the mess tends to expand beyond the kitchen because the entire room is the kitchen, definitely. Um, But I can say we clean our kitchen every single day and it's probably because it's like the most visible. And I'm I'm not talking like just like putting dishes away or whatever. Like we're quasi deep cleaning it every single day because it gets so messy and because it's visible from every other part of our main floor. So yeah, it is what it is. I, I understand. How often do you have to do the dishes? Oh, the dishes are always done. Like we we have dishes, they get done because that otherwise they just stack up and end up in our other rooms. Yeah, so they have to get done. It's just something we learned when we moved in. <laughs> it's good. It probably develops really good habits. I I mean, I guess so. It, it de- definitely a routine, I guess. But yeah, it's there's some sometimes I just don't want to do it. You know, Mariah. Some days you just don't want to. A hundred percent. But you would be a great house guest because you would always put the dishes away. I would be a terrible house guest. I'm I'm the awkward guy at the party that is like circling the food table, but then also like making sure to rinse off my dishes and putting them in the dishwasher. So I've been caught a bunch of times at like friends' houses or whatever. Them asking me what am I doing because I'm just doing dishes i'm just an awkward guy and it's just habit but yeah yeah i'm a great party guest invite me over please yeah i will help put away things at the end of the party Uh, but i like conveniently will not be your dish person like (laughs) you're a good friend yeah i'll do whatever else just don't make me do the dishes wow that's interesting you're you're a really good party guest like i think help at the end is way more important than the dishes like depending on how big of a party it is or whatever I just don't understand when people leave and they don't like tidy up, but like, I don't want to wake up to a mess. So why would I want my friend to wake up to a mess? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've learned that you and I uh, make some great party guests. Your house will be spotless after you invite Mariah and I over, please do. Um, But yeah, we should probably dismount here. Who do we shout out today? Yeah, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Lincoln. Uh, I just talked to him. He's a student out of the University of Alberta. Actually, just recent grad. So if you're looking for a new planner, uh, like give a shout out to me and I can help connect you. He's fantastic. uh, And he's a big listener to the podcast. So thanks so much, Lincoln, for listening in. Thanks for listening in, Lincoln. And thank you, Mariah, for hanging out with me. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye.